Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Cave to the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And we're on our last chapter, our last portion of it, of Jason Lyle's uh, Keeping Faith in an Age of Reason. And uh, we've got this uh, last episode that we're doing, the kind of the full 420 contradictions that he's covered, and we're having covered a few of them. We're um, doing this last one, and then uh, the next episode will more than likely be the uh, just the conclusion and some of our thoughts and notes and uh, further readings that you can do. So we're on the the yes and no chapter. So this is where uh, supposedly we're going to find the crux of most of our contradictions uh, because as we know, a, a true contradiction is if it says A and then somewhere else says not A, that's really a contradiction. However, right. once like this we, is a microphone and this is not a microphone. Right, right. but this yeah. is also an electronic device and a microphone. <laughs> yeah. Well, is it yes or no? That's right. Well, yeah. it's both. <laughs> it would be the equivocation fallacy, by the way. Uh, so that's that's what we're going to be doing, and we're going to be kicking off with actually uh, three uh, different questions, but uh, they all kind of pertain to the same one. Uh, so 366, 367, and 387 are the ones that we're going to be covering for this full one. They all have to do with righteousness. So uh, has there ever been a just person? Has, has anyone been justified? And uh, has there ever been a righteous person? And so there are uh, a good number of yeses and nos that are listed uh, that are supposedly contradictions, uh, a handful saying, no, there's never been a, a just or righteous person. Uh, and then there are some that says, yes, there are uh, both just and righteous people. So which is it? <laughs> yeah. So yes, right? <laughs> hopefully yes. no. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Truly, hopefully yes. Yeah. So um, uh, we might want to, uh, first off, look at a couple of those verses that he uh, cites for us so that we get a feel for you know how problematic this this particular question may may indeed be. Right? Sure. <clears throat> so uh, one of the no's is Ecclesiastes seven twenty, which says, "Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins." Wow, that seems pretty straightforward, right? right? No righteous, right? Uh, let's see, and uh, Psalms. I'm sorry, not Psalms. Psalm one forty three. <laughs> Psalms is the book. Yeah. Psalm 143.2 says, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Uh, yeah. uh, Job 15.14, What is man that he can be pure, or he who is born of a woman that can be righteous? This is meaning that there's no one. Yeah. Uh, Romans 3.10, And no, uh, as is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Therefore, no one can be righteous wow. or is righteous. Yeah. Yeah. However, there are a slew of them that do say... Uh, that you can be righteous, or there are righteous people. Uh, we read first Ecclesiastes 7.20, so five verses previously to that, it seems like uh, the, there's a contradiction saying uh, in verse 15, In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. So there is a righteous man. Go yeah. figure, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so uh, King Solomon seems to have changed his mind within five verses. Wow. No. <laughs> uh, Matthew 12. He was the wisest man in the world, so you know, yeah, we're uh, in trouble, I yeah, think. I, I think so. <laughs> he's, he's of two minds here. Uh, Matthew twelve thirty seven. and by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Hmm. And then um, 
Let's see, we're on to uh, James 5.16. Therefore, confess your th sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Mm. So it assumes that there are righteous people that yeah. do pray. Yeah. Uh, Hebrews 11.4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was condemned as righteous. Commended. Uh, I'm sorry, commended. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, God commending him by accepting his gifts, although I guess we could say Cain was the one that was condemned. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Yeah. So yes and no, it seems like what we have here. So how do we deal with this? So so the way Lyle does with this is first, as we have seen this various pattern, he points out the, uh, the fallacy that he believes the person has made. So in this case, it's an equivocation fallacy. Yeah, in all three of these questions yeah, it is. Yeah. And so they're using the terms in different senses mm -hmm. uh, when they're making this particular claim. And then, uh, and then what he does then is shows uh, the right way to read these various passages, right? So notice he says here, but um, no one is just in the sense of never having sinned except God himself. So people are not just or righteous in the sense of that no one is, uh, everyone is a sinner, right? right? But many have m been made just by God, by faith, by Christ's imputed righteousness, right? They, they, they follow his law through, though imper imperfectly, and so they are made just by imputation. It's a, it's a legal um, uh, term mm -hmm. that's used here to show that God looks on people as a result of their accepting of Christ as being just, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's it's not a state of being of the person by birth or by... Uh, only doing good works, uh, it's it's only through um, uh, a, a an act that God does that he then bestows upon uh, those who uh, come to believe in faith. Right, yeah. And Lyle then goes further with regard to this issue of righteousness in 387, uh, where he talks about righteousness is used in at least three ways in mm -hmm. the scripture, right? Similar to kind of what we've been alluding to with regard to just... Righteousness can refer to an actual sinful perfection. Uh, yeah, sinless right. perfection. Sinless yeah. perfection. Mm -hmm. Did I say sinful? Yeah, that's not right. Right, right? that'd be the other so, way. Yeah, so righteousness can refer to an actual sinless perfection. And, of course, only God is perfect in this sense. And, of course, Jesus Christ was mm -hmm. perfect in yeah. this sense, right? He was righteous with regard to sinless perfection. And that's one way that righteousness can refer in the particular in scriptures. Righteous number two, he says, can refer to po positional perfection, right? And that's kind of what we were getting at mm -hmm. with being justified, right? Justified is a legal uh, uh, term that talks about our position as a result of being in Christ. We are justified. We are considered righteous, right? Uh, First Corinthians or Second Corinthians um uh, 521 says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might have the righteousness of Christ. So mm -hmm. we are positionally 
perfect. We have righteousness as a position as a result of that exchange. Our sin was put on Christ. His righteousness was put on us, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so, and uh, Romans chapter 4, after talking about Romans 1, that there's uh, no one righteous. And Romans 2, not even you Jews are righteous. And yeah. There, there are there are not even those who are righteous within themselves. Romans 3, and that's where we get the no one is righteous, no, not one. Then, chapter 4, hey, look, here are Abraham the is righteous. We can be righteous. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> Abraham is the, is the illustration, mm -hmm. the example of yeah. the righteous, right? right? So we have righteousness in terms of sinless perfection. Jesus Christ uh, fits that bill. Righteousness in terms of positional um, perfection in terms of it's a, it's a legal standing before God, mm -hmm. right? It and uses the literal Greek term for, for um, you know, being found uh, um in good standing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then thirdly, righteousness can refer to practical obedience, right? Yeah. Here's where a person then uh, regularly, habitually obeys, not perfectly, but in terms of practical obedience. Those who love God and mm -hmm. attempt to obey him out of, um, notice he says here, and this is, uh, I think he makes a good point here. They attempt to obey God obey him out of a gratitude for salvation not to earn any merit but as a but because they have merit in terms of having Jesus righteousness on us right. it's gratitude uh, uh, for what God has accomplished on our behalf mm -hmm. right, so those are the three so given that then there are various ways that we can see and so what 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 you do then is you go to these various passages and you ask yourself, okay, how is the term righteousness or justification or just, just being used in this particular context, mm -hmm. right? Which was pretty much the whole point in God's revelation to his people through his word is, is um, you know, God is just, he is sovereign, he, he, he cannot have... Uh, um, the the stain of sin within his presence he uh, uh, executes people away from from his presence in the garden and Israel is made to be that that light on the hill um, that they're supposed to you know uh, follow these civil and priestly laws and also God's moral laws and to bring people into the fold uh, they they consistently fail at that so that um, it, it brings about uh, through a remnant uh, Jesus Christ, which is the pinnacle at which all history hangs, and then the Church Age is the the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies that call um, you know the, the the dry bones to be made uh, flesh and walking in the hard heart and the word written on his heart to carry it out. Um, it's it's all um, both Jew and Gentile and talked about in Romans. Um, is is in, in Romans nine is um, who who are God's people? It's those who um, follow after Him, and it's mm -hmm. not just the Jews now. Um, uh, it's also those who come uh, through faith through through, faith, through, through yeah. the through the message of the gospel. Yeah, 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 good. So, given then these various notions and senses of the term, let's now go back to let's say the most obvious ones in terms of the two in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Because they are within five verses of each other. <laughs> yeah. right? uh, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does 
good and never sins. Right. And so that would fit, right? That would fit with return, with regard to sinless perfection. There is not a righteous person on earth who has sinless perfection right. is what Solomon was trying to say, right? Jesus did, but at this point Jesus hadn't come right. and so and no other man had uh, accomplished that. So mm-hmm. no not a righteous man who has sinless perfection. So that's the sense here. What about the fifth chapter or the verse Chapter 7, verse 15. Yeah, in my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Yeah, so here then, so we we could argue here that it may be two of the three Mm -hmm. that are being used here. You know, and and again, I'd have to look at this passage a little more carefully. But there is a righteous man, it says there. Why don't you uh, go back up there? There is a righteous man, it says, um who perishes in his righteousness, right? Mm-hmm. So there is a righteous man. Solomon could be alluding to this this idea of positional righteousness, but probably he's talking about practical obedience because who perishes in his righteousness. Who does so good things yeah. and still, still dies. Yeah. However, here are wicked men who he views as kind of this uh, almost unjust in life um, who who are able to continue on long into their lives and they just do all sorts of evil. Right. But yet the, the righteous man is the one that, you know, uh, you know, dies at 40 where the unrighteous person dies at, you know, 86. Yeah. Surrounded by all his, his, uh, his pillaging. <laughs> but at, at, at some point, even if, even if you say, oh, this is only practical obedience, you can only be practically obedient uh, in righteousness if you have positional. Right. So, right. Yeah. so you, you need, uh, all, all all mankind needs to be positionally perfect in order to carry out uh, practical obedience, and we see that most clearly in the Book of Romans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good. All right. So, is this a contradiction? Uh, is it? Do we have yes and no? Yes, it is yes and no. But there's different senses of these various uh, words, and so there is no problem in, with regard to these these particular passages in terms of them contradicting. Right. Right. All right, next is number 377. Is it okay to take oaths? Um, There's a various number, especially in the Old Testament, that say, yes, you should take oaths, uh, including a few in uh, Hebrews and Revelation. And no, according to uh, probably most most known, Matthew 5.34 and James 5.12. So, um, is it okay to take oaths? Well, let's look at a few of these. Um, in Leviticus 27.2, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, if anyone makes a promise, a special vow to the Lord, involving the valuation of persons, and then uh, it goes on to, to talk about how you should speak truthfully. Uh, Hebrews 6.13, which is still in our um, yeses, when, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. So there we have God even making uh, an oath. And so if we're told uh, that it's wrong to make oaths, then is God also wrong in making those oaths here? However, then we get into Matthew 5.34. Uh, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. And it goes on to list um, various other 
uh, types of uh, swearing to that you're not supposed to do. And James 5.12, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Right. So so are we to take oaths or are we not to take oaths? Right? right? That's right. So uh, which is it here? Right. right? Yes. So uh, here is, uh, Lyle says it's a failure to read the text in context. It is okay to take oaths, but not to break oaths. And if you um, go and read um, by by what type of oaths you're not supposed to swear, it's always by something. So you're not supposed to swear either by heaven or by earth. Um, I think uh, Matthew 5 talks about, you know, don't swear on um, heaven or God's throne or anything that you might if it, it, even if you remotely might have to, um, to, to, to break that oath, then you're not um, uh, kind of putting, putting that, um, that uh, standing that you have of, of by what you're swearing um, <coughs> kind, of, kind of under um, su- subjection to uh, criticism. Uh, it, let your yeses be yes and your no be noes. And James is, is pretty clear that you can take oaths and that... Um, that you should um, be honest in in what in what you do um, swear by, which is just I, I plan to do this because it is right for me to carry this out and yeah. not not have to make a big deal or swear by things that are holy that um, we view as as so important that even if you know I, I swear to you on the Bible that I won't be late. <laughs> oh, and then I got uh, you know blindsided in a car accident or my child fell ill and I had to take. Well, yeah. there I've then just um, uh, kind of delegitimized uh, in in your mind uh, exactly how how much I, I hold to, the, to to that vow. Yeah, and and Lyle points out here that um, um, the Pharisees had taught that mm-hmm. it's not so bad to break an oath uh, as long as you swore by something other than God, right? <laughs> so you can swear by heaven or the temple or something like that, and you can break those. Mm-hmm. But if you swear by God, you can't break those. And so Jesus and James was trying to make oath-taking, uh, uh, you know, up at a higher level. Mm-hmm. You know, if you take oath, you need to you need to stick to it, right? Or don't take it, right, is, is the idea here. Right. right. <clears throat> so just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Right. And then you don't have to worry about it. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right. What about praying in public? Should Christians pray in public? You know, we've already talked about oath-taking. Let's talk about another uh, you know, kind of religious activity here. Right. Should Christians pray in public? Uh, number 382. So... Uh, the Matthew 6, 5 through 6 says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their rewards. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. However, First uh, Timothy 2, 8 says, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Right, so really the question should be here, not, uh, you know, should Christians pray in public? Uh, but, you know, it says every place, so that means, you know, <laughs> we, they should be praying everywhere, mm-hmm. not, you know, so do we just pray in our... So um, Lyle suggests that this one here is, he calls this a hasty generalization yeah. fallacy, right? And a failure to read the text carefully. God isn't so concerned with where we, we uh, pray, right? As he is about how 
that we pray, mm-hmm. which is clearly the context of Matthew uh, 6, 5. Right. right. Yep. We're not to pray like hypocrites, right? Right. Who, That's the, yeah. Who do it uh, to be seen and say, oh, that person's so holy. Look at them standing out there and using yeah. big words and, and, and they're, they're spiritually above anything I'm doing. Look, I'm just going on about my day, but they're standing there. Praying, ooh, yeah. that's that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or we see that with the um, with the uh, the Pharisee and the uh, the um, the tax collector, right? Who who Jesus talks about mm. in his parable. Yeah. The 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 Pharisee stands up in front of the temple, waving his hand, saying, "Thank goodness I'm not like this tax collector." Which I can understand that that mm-hmm. sentiment, especially mm-hmm. uh, around now. Um, <laughs> but the the tax collector is humble. He you know beats his breast. He he's he doesn't even look up towards heaven. He knows his his proper standing. Um, and the 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 question that Jesus asks is, you know, which one? Um, Went home and, righteous. Yeah, yeah. And, and justified. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's clear that uh, that the person who humbles himself before God understands exactly what. Um, what his position is in relation to God, uh, what his relationship is uh, to God as far as um, his, his own righteousness, which is, if, if he has righteousness, then it's only given to you by God and through Christ's sacrifice. Right. So it's the motivation for prayer. Right, right. Are, am I praying to appear, you know, self-righteous? Well, it'd be better to go in a closet, right? Or am I praying to glorify God, mm-hmm. right? Am I praying to... Uh, to, you know, seek God's will, right? Well, then you can pray like that anywhere, right? right. So it's not, yeah, it's so, so um, you know, it's not where you pray, it's how it's your motivation with regard to mm-hmm. prayer, really, is what's going on. Right, and then when it comes to the First Timothy uh, 2.8, um, well, it has here, and rightly so, that Paul is perfectly consistent wanting to wanting men in all parts of the world to pray within the church and without dissension. So that's why, you know, why does he mention uh, that they should that they should pray lifting up uh, holy hands without anger and quarreling? Well, it's because you're with other people. Yeah. So we, we, that that's that's the desire. And so uh, the following verses say, likewise, also the women should should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty, self control, not with braided hair and golden apparels, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Talking about the type of of um, attitude and um, kind of right standing you should have publicly within the church right yeah good yeah so i can pray uh, publicly you can pray publicly just you should do it silently or (laughs) your reward is people think highly of you and you probably that's that that's it yeah that's all the reward i get yeah number 399 399 is the next uh number 399 asks do christians sin so these are these are people who uh, you know, have, wow, have heard, really? heard the message, have accepted uh, Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and who uh, st- uh, stand up from from their kneelers and go out into the world, and they never sin again. Right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's well, pretty cool. Who are those? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so there are some yeses, and uh, uh, there are some verses that uh, refer to um, Old Testament, but there's also ones in Romans three twenty three and First John one eight and ten. Uh, but of course, there are some no uh, Christians do not sin, according to Romans five fourteen, First John three six nine, uh, five and eighteen, and Third John eleven. Um, 
So just uh, so let's look at a couple of those, of those anyway. Yeah, just to get a feel for what's yeah. going on here. Romans three twenty three for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So everybody sinned. Yeah. Yeah. Even Christians. You, uh, that's uh, all means all in that in that <laughs> context right there. Uh, all doesn't always mean all, but sometimes it does. First uh, John one eight says, "If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us." And that's mm-hmm. John. So that clearly is focused. We, there might be an argument about the Romans three passage where Paul is talking about unbelievers. Mm-hmm. We might be able to argue that, but clearly, First John one eight is talking about believers. Right. It's a message to a church. So. Yeah. Uh, however, Romans 5.14 says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come. And Let's see. First uh, John 3.6 and, oh, and also 9. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Uh, verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. Yeah, yeah. So, do Christians sin? Well, yes. <laughs> Ho- hopefully so. But the practice, right, is really what he's getting at here. So he calls this for you to right. read the, the text carefully or in context. Of course, Christians sin at times, even after salvation. Um, we don't all sin in exactly the same way, he tells us, but uh, we do sin from time to time. And this is um, always wrong to sin. It is always wrong to violate God's command, his holy and righteous standards, mm-hmm. and to be disobedient to what God has said he wanted us to do. That is always wrong. He is our creator, and we are his creatures, and therefore we are, uh, you know, we are, uh, are to be uh, obedient to what he has called called us to do and be, and when we violate his commands, his standards, his words, then that we have sinned. We have sinned against our Creator, and that's always wrong. Um, nevertheless, he says Christians do not uh, sh- practice sin. Right. So we'll, we'll, you know, we noted in those John First John verses that that's really what the focus was, right? Mm-hmm. Where I just go out there and just sin all over the place continually without, you know, any hesitation, without any repentance, and just say, oh, you know, I'm a Christian, I can sin. No, no, no. Practicing, meaning we don't choose sin as a way of life or desire to become more sinful. Right. We, our desire should be to become less sinful, not more sinful. And so we don't go out as a result of receiving the righteousness of Christ, right, positionally, and receiving salvation, we should respond with gratitude and then attempt to even more walk in obedience to what God wants mm-hmm. us to do and not sin all over the place. It's, it's the old joke of, um, uh, you know, you called... Um, uh, what doctors do at practice because they're not great at it. Uh, so just like with Christians, we we have practical righteousness. So we're practicing being righteous, and sometimes we fail. Yeah. And e- yeah. even in First uh, John, I was trying to find it here uh, in two one, it says, uh, "My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So if Christians didn't continue to sin, as as far as um, uh, you know, attempting to practice righteousness and sometimes failing. Um, you know, if 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 
once we were saved and that was it, then we could have kind of a Catholic view of, well, now what do we do? Yeah. And and say, you know, our righteousness bank is, is on empty and we've uh, had a, a moral sin or, or uh, um, a, a different type of sin uh, that takes us um, out of heaven. And, and so we have to do something or, or not. But here, um, Christ is consistently uh, interjecting for us before the Father and pleading yeah. our case. He is our advocate, yeah. our, our lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> Finally have a good lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> who, 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 who knows the judge. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and finally, number 412. Uh, probably, at least when I first started uh, um, seeing uh, stuff on the internet way back in the day, uh, this was kind of the biggest one that I saw. Yeah, that this I is saw. again another one about sin. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And it's always good to, to talk about sin and, and what it does and our true understanding of what sin is because um, uh, especially when when you read Romans, you, you have to come away understanding um, that you know here, here God is sovereign, but also what does our sin do and why is it so important that uh, you know we, we mortify the flesh? It's because sin has that greater um, resistance against God and it's, it's so uh, uh, completely separate from who God is that we need to view it in light of that. So 4.12 says, is there an unforgivable sin? Uh, yes, according to uh, Matthew 12, 31, 32, and the same story is, is repeated in Mark and Luke, but no, says Acts uh, 13.39. So is there an unforgivable sin? And the most noted story about it says, therefore I tell you every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. And now, of course, that's uh, Jesus talking to the Pharisees. Uh, however, Acts 13.39 says, And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So, which is it? Yeah. So here, is there an unforgivable sin? But uh, Lyle wants us to understand that this is failure to read the text carefully and uh, specious reasoning. Yes, when people continually reject the Holy Spirit, you know, his testimony concerning Christ, like this story in Matthew uh, right. chapter 12, then they, and you know, they die without uh, accepting Christ, then of course they're not forgiven. Right. right? So a continuous rejection of, uh, uh, of uh, you know, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, and the Holy Spirit's testimony of Christ can result in not being forgiven. Mm -hmm. Right. In so, fact, we can even become harder and harder in that case. You know, folks can and then and then seal their fate so to speak mm -hmm. right yeah. so here uh, you know what what has Christ done he has performed miracles the Pharisees have seen it they've seen his testimony they've seen um, his uh, exegeting God's word and teaching and uh, they see all these things that point to who Christ is they should know more than anybody um, the signs of, of the Messiah and when confronted about it, they go, well, clearly he's from the devil. He's, he's a, you know, the son of Beelzebub. And that's when Christ repeats his, uh, you know, can, can, can uh, you, you won't be forgiven because you've seen so much of the spirits acting in, um, in concert with who Christ is that, um, um, th th there's, there's no way for them to, to come, 
um, after rejecting that much. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, is, is it uh, impossible to have the unforgivable sin today? I would say, unless if you're actively seeing a special working by God, which is, I would say, rare to non-existent. Uh, no, it can't happen today. However, uh, rejection of Christ can happen. Yes, and failure to, uh, you know, to uh, adhere to the to the um, the, the preaching of the gospel mm-hmm. and being obedient to the gospel right. can can cause us to that is sin. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's not forgiven because we're not accepting the righteousness that God has for right. us. And so we could say, in effect, that that's the unforgivable sin, but it's not this obvious, you know, enlightened time where Jesus was there in their face, the Holy Spirit was making uh, all of these uh, miraculous things Mm happening, and they were rejecting him. So, you know, the unforgivable sin really technically is, um, is unbelief. And it was here, it was unbelief when Jesus Christ was being uh, publicly displayed as the Messiah, Mm -hmm. right? Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so but technically, yes and no here. Right <laughs> is what you. I think that's where you were headed right, with that. Right. right. Yeah. And that's it. So that's all the ones that we have for uh, keeping faith in the age of reason by Jason yeah, Lyle. This was a good book. It uh, answers lots of questions here. I would suggest that folks get it. As we have said, we haven't. We didn't cover all right. all of these. We kind of skipped around to some some of those that we thought were interesting, but there are many more here that Lyle uh, works through, uh, and uh, I think it would be worth uh, folks' uh, time and effort yeah, to, to read through this. It's great just to, to grab it off the shelf real quick and say, okay, you know, where where can it point me to, as far as the answer goes, and. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where if, if you do it enough, you just keep hearing the same thing over and over. So you, even within um, my own ministry that uh, that I have, where I'm answering people's questions from around the world, I have like ten questions that I just keep yeah, a copy and yeah, paste yeah, because yeah. a lot of times it's it's just the Oftentimes same questions over it's and over the same again. thing. Yeah, people so, don't. Yeah, they really have the same questions. Yeah. Right. Which is great because you can then um, be ready to to not only answer the question, but then to present a, a true and appropriate gospel message as it goes into that. And it can feel uh, way more natural than just going, oh, and, uh, you know, I've answered this question about the unpardonable sin, but by the way, yeah. uh, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your yeah. Lord and Savior? Yeah. Here you can kind of work through uh, kind of a preset. Um, Especially how, how if you I know it's coming, yeah. right? You can be prepared for it. Yeah. Good. So, All right. Keeping faith in an age of reason. Uh, Refuting Alleged Bible Contradictions, Jason Lyle. A very good book, and uh, we'd we'd recommend it. Yep, anything pretty much by Lyle we'll we'll recommend. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, we'll see you next episode where we'll probably do the conclusion, and uh, then we'll be done with the book and on to the next one. So thank you for joining us. Thank you.